Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. So today we're continuing the, the teaching series I started a few weeks ago called What Matters Most? And, uh, and, and what we're doing is we've been kind of reevaluating, as many of us have been this last while, and we've been trying to assess what are the things that are really important to me now. And some of us have found in recent weeks, you know, there, there are things that we miss that we perhaps didn't value as much as we could have done or should have done, or certainly as much as we do now. And we've looked at a number of things, and today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about stopping the drift. Stopping the drift. When I was a child, we were, uh, some of my fondest childhood memories are from days at the beach. And Lord knows how she did it, but my mother used to get the four of us who were kind of pretty close in age, and on summer days, she would take us all, and we lived in a city, and so often in a city, you didn't need a car. We didn't have a car, so she'd take the four of us, and we'd all walk to the railroad station, and uh, we'd get on a train, and we'd go to the beach. And some of my best memories, I, I think we spent a lot of summer days at the beach. My, my grandfather had worked for the railroad, so... Um, my mother got free passes on the train, so it was a cheap day out. So, so we, we'd go to the beach, and, and I loved it. You know, we, we loved the sea. We loved swimming in the sea. We loved being on the beach. And by the end of summer, you know, we, we, we changed color. Um, back in those days, I know it was bad, but it was not child neglect. We didn't know any better, right? We didn't wear creams and lotions. We just went out there, took your clothes off, and got on your swimming stuff, and you spent the whole day like that. In fact, one year, there was a woman on the beach who stopped by my mother when she pointed to my brother and I who were playing at the edge of the water, and she said, did you adopt those two from Africa? (laughs) I haven't always been as pale-faced as I am now, folks. You know, I used to be tanned and chiseled. No, never mind. Anyway, so, no, it was because we were out in the sun the whole summer. I remember that. There was one time we were at a beach, and uh, we had this kind of, you know, uh, inflatable airbed thing. And uh, my brother took it to uh, just to kind of put into the sea and just float on the edge of the sea. And my mother threatened him, said, you can only go this far. But how, how many of you know that if you've got four kids at the beach, keeping your eye on all of them is like a huge job? And all of a sudden, my mother said, look at Mickey. He wasn't actually called Mickey. My brother's name is Christopher. But before he became sophisticated... Uh, He went by his middle name, which was Michael. So he was Mickey most of his life growing up. Look at Mickey. Look, he's all. And and there was this huge pier that went out into the sea. Huge thing. Way out. And you could just see him right out there on the airbed. He drifted that far out in a very short period of time. And my mother said, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, and like my mother, who was always in full control of everything and everybody, seemed to lose it for a few seconds. And me, at eight years old, in control of everything, 
went to a guy beside me who was renting out paddle, near us, who was renting out paddle boats and said, can you go get my brother? And he paddled out the paddle boat and <laughs> they got him back in. But it was amazing how quickly he drifted. I'm sure he didn't realize how much he had drifted. And I've met a lot of people, talked to a lot of folks over the last couple of months who've woken up to the fact they drifted from God and they really need to pull things back in. There's a verse in the Bible in, in, in Psalm 107 and it says this, Psalm 107 verse 4, some of you wandered for years in the desert looking but not finding a good place to live. And you know, there are a lot of people who did exactly that. They've, they've wandered for years, drifted from God for years, looking for a place to settle down, looking for peace, looking for contentment, looking for fulfillment in life, but they didn't find it because they wandered. Over in the book of Ezekiel chapter 34, it says this, God says, my sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth. No one searched or looked for them. And there are people all around us wandering on every high hill, scattered over the whole earth. But the good news this morning is this. Nobody can say no one searched or looked for them because Jesus is looking for you. And I'm going to tell you this too. Genesis Church is too. In fact, Jesus is doing that through this church. We care about those that have been scattered. We care about those that have drifted. The, the other morning, I, uh, I, I, I looked at my phone and I found I'd, I'd missed a call. And I looked, but there was a message. So I went to my messages and in the messages, I, I heard there was a guy from our church who had called me, and he said, what I just really want to say today is this. God has used you to turn my life around. I found faith, and I feel like life is totally different. And then he started getting teary. I could hear it in the message. And you know what? I started getting teary-eyed too. Because I remembered when he first came here. He didn't want to be here. Now, trust me, I've been a pastor for years. I've learned body language. You know, I've learned it. I've, I can read people. It's like, I'm here, but I don't want to be here. He came with his fiance. I talked to him as he was leaving. He didn't really want to talk to me. He was very polite, but it was like, I don't want to be here. I don't really want to know you. And then I look and see what God has done in his life. And you get a phone call like that to start your day. And I tell you what, whatever else was going on that day, I had a good day. Because the church exists to be the, 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 the hands and the feet of Jesus reaching out to, looking for those that are scattered over the whole earth, feeling no one's looking for them. But the reality is Jesus is. And you may be one of those today who's drifted far from God yourself. And the fact you are listening here, participating in this service is perhaps the first indication of this. God's after you. God's looking for you. God cares about you, and God wants you. Amen. So here's, here's the thing. We, we, are, we, um, 
We had Easter seven weeks. I don't know. We had Easter at some point. God knows. I don't know. It's Sunday because I'm standing here, right? Every day is different. So we had Easter somewhere. And, and uh, from, from the church calendar point of view, we're in that period between Easter and when Jesus went back to heaven. Now, after the resurrection, Jesus didn't hang out with his disciples all the time like he had done. The Bible records a number of appearances of the risen Christ, but they were spasmodic and they, they were not predictable. It, 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 you know, it just wasn't the same. I mean, please don't get upset with me, but it's almost like a where, where's Waldo for 40 days. It's like, oh, Jesus is here. Oh, he was there. I haven't seen him in a few days. Anybody heard from him? It was, it, that was how it was. And from the disciples' perspective, what they had known and enjoyed was gone. They'd spent three and a half years interacting with Jesus every day, day and night sometimes, going places, hanging out, traveling with him, listening to him, learning from him, watching his outrageous, miraculous acts of love. But really now, weeks after the resurrection, the solid truth was hitting home. That's all gone now. And one of the key disciples, Peter, decided that he needed to start rebuilding his new life. And here's what it says in John 21 and verse 3. It says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. So they went out and immediately got into a boat and they caught nothing that night. So comes the point now where Peter says, you know what, that was all good with Jesus, but I guess it's done. It was over. Hey, he could rationalize it. It's like, I've got to live. Now, the Bible makes it clear that while Jesus was traveling around and ministering in different places, there were people who helped them and supported the ministry and took care of their needs. But that was all gone now because Jesus wasn't being seen much. And, and you know, Peter had to pay the bills. Add to that, there were reasons why he was disappointed with himself and, and perhaps disillusioned with Jesus because it didn't seem the way it should have been. And you know what he did? He started drifting. And you may be sitting there this morning, or as Faith mentioned when she Welcomed everyone, laying in your bed even. God bless you. It's a good life. But you may be where you're at this morning, and you may be disappointed with yourself. You may be disappointed with God. But if you are drifting in the wrong direction, my message to you today is this. Turn back. And stop the drift. Stop the drift. So the disciples have been hanging out in Jerusalem, right? After the death and resurrection of Jesus. But Peter's like, I'm going fishing. So he was going back to Galilee. Now, Galilee was something like 73 miles away, which to you and me is nothing. You know, it's an hour and a half in traffic. It's just one hour if the cops don't catch you. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, that's nothing. But, it, but in those days, they would have walked it. And it was a full three or four days 
of hard slog. Just about this time last year, I, I was in the UK, and uh, I'd been doing some teaching for a church uh, in the south of England, and then I was going to go and visit my brother, and on the way, I would be passing the city that I grew up in, and I haven't been there for 25 years. Don't have any family in the city there or any real connections there anymore, but I had this kind of idea of I'd like to stop off and just walk around the old haunts. And I did. I booked this little hotel not far from where we used to live, where I grew up. And uh, I checked in there and I started, and I just started walking around and it was, it was unbelievable. It's like every corner I turned had a memory. So I, I went along the street where, where I grew up. You know, we used to play in the streets there. And then I'm, I'm, I'm walking around the corner and I go by, it's very close to our house, was the, the school that I started, the elementary school that I first went to. And as you walk there, there was a shortcut through a narrow lane. And then you passed what used to be a potato merchant. It's an electrical warehouse now. But as I came to that place, I could smell the potatoes still. It was like, it was like every step of the way, there, was, there were memories or things came back to me that I'd forgotten. Things from 60, darn, near 70 years ago. It was fact, every step seemed to be filled with memories. And you know something? When Peter made the journey from Jerusalem back to Galilee, I don't think it was just a case of, okay, let's go, let's hit the road. Every step of the way, there would have been a memory. And I think that every step of the way, there were things that were challenging his decision to drift. And every step of the way, I think God was there kind of calling him back to where he really needed to be. Because you don't just go from here to there and end up. You don't go from a place where God's important in your life and suddenly God's not relevant in your life. That doesn't happen overnight. It's steady. And, and, and what I want to say to you today is, particularly I'm talking to those of you that have been drifting from God maybe for years. My prayer is that in this time kind of, you know, that our nation, our world is in, when people are working out what matters most, you'll come to realize that stopping the drift and reconnecting with God really matters. So they started the journey. And there are a few things that I think that Peter probably was being reminded of as he made that journey. Number one, Jesus cares about those nobody cares about. Jesus cares about those nobody cares about. As they came north from Jerusalem, the first city they would have gone through was the city of Jericho. Now, on the way to Jerusalem, where Jesus had come in triumphantly on Palm Sunday, on the way to Jerusalem, they had come through Jericho. So they were there a couple of months before all of them with Jesus. And something phenomenal happened in Jericho. Here's what it tells us in Mark 10. It says, then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
So they went through Jericho, they're leaving Jericho, and near the gate to the city as they were leaving, there is this blind man sitting there, as apparently he regularly did, begging. Begging because in that culture, if you had no support, no means of income, there was no safety net that government provided. Begging because he was totally dependent on the mercy of passers-by. And the chances were, Jericho wasn't a huge city back in those times. The chances are that kind of he was a regular there. Everybody knew who he was. They saw him there. They were familiar with him. So he shouts out to Jesus and says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then I want you to notice what the Bible says happened next. Here was the response from those around him. It says that many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. You know, like they knew Bartimaeus. They knew that he was there all the time. Like, Bartimaeus, shut up. Leave it alone. Like, what are you doing? It's a big day for us. Jesus don't want to be bothered with you. They rebuked him and told him to be quiet. I like this next bit. But he shouted all the more. It's like, go Bartimaeus. But he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. He was persistent. Because while everybody around him thought he was irrelevant, he really did need Jesus. He was persistent. Now, there's an interesting thing here. Jesus shouted to Jesus and said, Son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't say, Savior. He didn't say Messiah. All he knew was what he had heard, that was he was a descendant of King David. He didn't have great spiritual or scriptural insight by the sound of it. He just knew that he needed Jesus. I like that. You don't have to have a degree in theology before God will listen to you. You don't need fancy language before you can pray. Somebody said to me the other day, I don't really know how to pray. It's easy. You open your mouth. It's great. See what comes out. Well, it might not be right. My Lord. God isn't listening to the words. He's looking at our hearts. Right? That's the truth. I, there's this, I, I read this quote. I thought this was good stuff. This guy said, we must ask people to think, but we should not expect them to become theologians before they're Christians. Isn't that great? Like, well, I don't really understand all this. No, you don't need to understand it or you believe it. That's what faith is. Faith is believing what you don't fully understand. It all begins with a personal heart connection with Jesus. Not I've accumulated plenty of information now and I fully understand it. Listen, do me a favor. When you fully understand the love of God, will you fill me in? Okay, that a deal. I mean, when you fully come to realize why God in heaven would love you and me and care about us that much, when you can put, get your head around that, please help me out. What a powerful pastor I might become if I really understood all I'm talking about. No, God just wants us to connect with him on a heart level. And he will guide us and he will lead us. What an incredible lesson the 
disciples must have learned that day is Jesus said, hey, you come here. And he took Bartimaeus off to one side. He said, what do you need? He said, Lord, I, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus healed him. And it wasn't just that he could see now. There's a few other things. Number one, he wasn't dependent on everybody else now. Number two, he wasn't sitting in the dust of the dirt by the city gate every day. He got fresh dignity. And number three, he mattered to Jesus. And if you matter to Jesus, you're somebody. And I'm going to tell you something today. You matter to Jesus. You are somebody. But Peter walked through Jericho and kept going. The memory of that event where Jesus showed that he cared about those nobody cares about seems as if it didn't impact him very much. But I want to encourage you, joining with us today, never forget the Jesus who cares for you and has proven that he cares for you and still cares for you. Stop the drift. Don't keep moving away. The second thing I, I, I gather from the next stop in the journey is this. Jesus cares about those nobody cares about. Continuing north from Jericho towards Galilee, they, they would have come through the region of Samaria. And as they went to Samaria, there was a, a place there by the name of Sychar that Jesus had visited some time before. There was a well there. I, I remember that well. Oh, darn. I'm about to say I remember that well well. That's, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, must, uh, I need to script my sermons better. Uh, but anyway, I, I remember it because in, uh, I think it was 78 and 80, uh, in both of those years, I, I took groups of people to Israel, and we did a Holy Land tour. And I remember in, in 1980, uh, there was a great deal of tension in the country. Uh, between the Israelis and the Palestinians, and there were all kinds of terrorist acts happening and bombs going off. And we were doing the reverse journey at that point. We were going from Galilee down to Jerusalem. On the way, our guide said to me, Roger, the schedule shows we stop at Sychar at the well. Do you want to do that? I said, yeah. She said, well, okay, here's the situation. It's a very tense area, and it really isn't safe. Now, she'd been a major in the Israeli army. <laughs> you didn't mess with her. Uh, but she said, most tours don't go there now. So it can be dangerous. Do you want to go there? <laughs> now, those of you who know me, you know what I said, right? I said, yeah. <laughs> I paid for this. We want to go there. <laughs> so, so she said, okay, here's what we're going to do. She said, there's a big wall around where the well is. It's a huge garden area, and there's a door. There's a narrow door. We're going to go to the narrow door. We're going to pull the bus up right beside the door. People get out the bus, go through that door, go to the well, take a look. If you want, you can read the Bible passage about the well, and then get everybody straight out. She said, I will give you 10 minutes maximum there. I said, yeah, that's fine. 
So we go there, we all trail off the bus, we go in, we go around the well, I read some verses from John 4 uh, about the story, and, uh, and then we pray, and I say, okay, everybody, really quick, straight back on the bus, back off the bus, and we go, and it's all good. And I said to the guy, I don't know what the problem was. So then we go to Jerusalem, and then a few days later, we're flying out, and I'm reading on the plane the Jerusalem Post, and the day after we had been there, a German tourist bus had done what we did, and actually the bus was bombed, and 20-odd German tourists died. So I remember Sychar. I remember Jacob's well, and I've got a lot smarter as I've got older. So, so here at this place, there was a well. Some of you will know this story. So Jesus goes comes to the well, and um, it's, it's midday. His disciples have gone off to buy lunch. It's midday. That means in that climate, it was the hottest part of the day. Jesus goes and sits by the well, and a woman comes from the well from the town nearby to, to draw water, because that was the local water supply. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. And uh, one of the things I, I, I love about this is, is the woman, the, the woman started talking religion to Jesus. <laughs> it's so fascinating. You know, I, I'm a private person, honestly, when I'm not in front of a crowd. Um, so if I'm traveling somewhere, if I'm on a plane sitting by somebody, I don't need to know their life story. I'll never see them again. I, I'll read my book. I'm good. I, you know, I don't need to say hello. I don't need to know who you are, where you're going, how many grandkids you've got, and I don't want to see pictures. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a nice guy. Trust me. If you're just getting to know me, I'm, I'm a really nice guy. But I'm, you know, I'm weird in my way, like you're weird in your way, right? So, so, but sometimes people ask, it, "What do you do for a job?" And you know, I, I, I hate to say I'm a pastor. You know why? Then they get all religious, and and they they want to talk about sort of, you know, religious things and churchy things and stuff, and it's like, we don't need to go there. It's fine. Eat your peanuts. I'm okay. And, and, and you know, this woman who met Jesus at the well, she immediately wanted to start discussing religion because Samaritans had a totally different approach. And she said, well, you know, you, you, you Jews, you think Jerusalem's the holy mountain. We think this is the holy mountain. And, and you know what? Jesus cut her off. And here's what he said in John 4.10. He said, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's just asked you for a drink, as he had done, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living wars. Like, can we stop talking about religion? I've got something good for you. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And in their interaction there at the well, she came to realize that Jesus was the Savior and to put her trust in him. Now, there is a reason why I say that in Sychar, Jesus demonstrated that he cares about those that nobody cares about because the woman was drawing water at noon, which you never did. You did it early in the day or in the evening when it was cool. But she went to the well there. Going to the well is, okay, going to the well as well was a, I'll be glad when we're away from this darn well. Uh, but going, going, going to the well was kind of a social event. It's kind of like, you know, did you ever go out with a group of people and you're sitting in a restaurant and one of the ladies says, I need the bathroom? And ladies go in herds, right? It's like, oh, I'll come. Yeah, I'll come. I'll come. I mean, can you imagine a guy doing that? 
Hey, I'm just going to the bathroom. Oh, can I come? No. So, so it was kind of a social thing. The ladies met up and they went and drew their water from the well every day. But she went by herself when nobody else was there at the hottest time of the day. And there's a reason for that. She was kind of the loose lady of the town. Nobody liked her. Nobody wanted to be seen with her. And look at what it says in, in, in verse 27. He's talking to her, but it says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Because culturally that was unacceptable. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? That's a smart move. <laughs> Jesus, what do you think you're doing? Nobody said that. But they thought it. They thought it. What's he doing? But the truth is this. Jesus cares about those that nobody cares about. At Sychar, the disciples learned that it doesn't matter how far you've gone, and it doesn't matter how big a mess you may have created, Jesus cares. And I want to tell you this Sunday morning, it doesn't matter how far you've drifted. It doesn't matter how low you feel you might have gone. It doesn't matter how big the mess may be that you created yourself. The fact is this, Jesus still cares. Stop the drift. Stop the drift. Turn around. The journey from Jerusalem to Galilee was filled with memories that all said, don't do this. Turn back. And then the third place they went to reminds me of this. Jesus cares about those that nobody cares about. Now, some of you sitting home right now, you just turned to somebody and said, is he losing it? Because he said that was the last point. And he said that was the point before that. He, he just repeated himself. Does he know what he's doing anymore? I thought I saw this coming. Yeah, I know what I'm talking about. I generally lay out my teaching just for my sake in kind of segments. So I go from, you know, so, so I've got kind of a point here and another one and a third one. And to more, this morning I've got four. But to make it easy for me, they're all the same. Jesus cares about those that nobody cares about. That's the gospel, folks. That's the good news. That's what Jesus is about. That's what we are about. That's what I'm about. Jesus cares about those that nobody cares about. And while Peter was going back to the journey to his old life, Jesus still cared about him. And every step of the way, at every place that they visited it, reminded him of that truth. And I trust this morning, over and over again, that you will be reminded that... God cares about you wherever you are at right now. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. So they came to a place called Nain. Let's have a look at that story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Not long after that, Jesus went to the village Nain. His disciples were with him, along with quite a large crowd. As they approached the village gate, they met a funeral procession. procession. A woman's only son was being carried out for burial. For burial. Thank you. Sorry, my idiot screen wasn't working. Let me just read it from my page instead. And the mother was a widow. 
When Jesus saw her, his heart broke. He said to her, don't cry. Then he went over and touched the coffin. The pallbearer stopped. He said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead son sat up and began talking. Jesus presented him to his mother. Don't tell me they didn't remember that when they walked through Nain. My wife tells the story when she was a, when she was a, a, a young Christian, I don't know, 20-ish years old, uh, her and a friend of hers, they were new Christians, fired up about their faith that one day they were walking in a graveyard. Uh, and she said, you know in the Bible that when they prayed, people came back from the dead? Wouldn't it be cool if we prayed and somebody came back from the dead? And I think, no, it wouldn't. You'd pee your pants. It's like, <laughs> no, it would frighten a life out of you. How freaky do you want life to get? You know, it's like, how freaky do you think this was in Nain? Jesus says, hey, wait a second. It's like, okay. And he goes over. And this dead young man sits up. <laughs> and the crowd went wild. No, they didn't. They weren't there anymore. No, they ran. They were terrified. As soon as the corpse started moving, they were out of there, surely. What a wild scene. Crazy scene. But here's the thing. The woman, the Bible says, was a widow. And this was her only son. So actually, her only means of support and income had died. And she now had not only lost her husband, she'd lost her son. She was alone and she was without any means in this world. But you know, Jesus saw her. I love that. I love that. To a lot of people, she might have been irrelevant and she might have been insignificant. But not to Jesus. Jesus raised him from the dead. And not only did he bring her son back to life, he brought hope for life back to her. Her means of support back to life. I love that. There's a story we don't have time to go into. Some of you will know it in the, in the book of Genesis about Abraham and how God miraculously provided for Abraham in a particular situation. And in Genesis 22 verse 14, it says this, Abraham named that place God Yireh. Sometimes we use that, we say it this way, Jehovah Jireh. He named that place God Yireh, which means God sees to it. That's where we get the saying, on the mountain of God. He was on a mountain. On the mountain of God, he sees to it. I love that we've got a God who sees to it. We've got a God who provides. And if you this Sunday morning have been drifting from God, don't forget the ways in which God's been so good to you. God's provided. God has seen to it for you. We've seen that over and over again in the lives of people in our church. We've seen it over and over again here as a church. It's happening right now. We provided food from our church this week to I think it was 293 people. 293 people. Do you know what? That's a heck of a lot of rice. Only it wasn't just rice. I don't know if it was rice at all. 
It was huge bags of food, bags and bags of food, great stuff, good stuff. And then when, when, when we're finished with the distribution from our food pantry, it's like the fridges and freezers are empty. Okay, we've got seven days. God, you've got seven days. But God always provides. Now, by the way, just on a practical note, if you want to help God provide or be God's means of providing for us this week, I'm going to tell you something. If you live locally, we could use whole frozen chickens. They're the easiest to distribute. Whole frozen chickens, hot dogs, hot dog buns, those things. And if you could drop them off at our building, around the back of the building will be open up Wednesday between 10 and noon. If that doesn't work, get in touch with us. Maybe you could be God's means of providing this week to folks who are really, really hurting. God's always provided. Isn't that true in your life? It's true in mine. God always provides. As Peter went through Nain, he must have remembered that caring miracle. The sad thing is he kept going. He was done. Until he got back to Galilee, where he maybe remembered the fourth point Jesus cares about those nobody cares about. It was three and a half years before then that a stranger came along the shore of Galilee as Peter was there with his brethren. In Matthew 4, 19, it says this, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And it says, At once they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. And you know what? Jesus had said nothing different from that even up to the point of time they were at. Jesus never said, go back to your fishing, I'm done with you. He never said, go back to the boats because it's over now. He, his, his invitation to them still stood. I want you to leave this, follow me and fish for people. But the trouble is so often we do our best to sort things out ourselves when we think they're not going the way we really expected them to go. Jesus didn't tell him to go back there. Jesus said to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. We're not good at waiting, are we? So we, we, we do it our way. I know how to fix this. I've got to take care of things. I've got to make some money. I've got to take care of it. And here's the, beauty, here's the beauty of this story. In John's Gospel, chapter 21 and verse 4, this is, this, is, this is the clincher, folks. So here's Peter. Walked through Jericho, didn't touch him. Went to the well in Sychar, didn't touch him. Walked through Nain, didn't touch him. Got back in his boats, didn't touch him. John 21, 4. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach. Jesus went to where he was. He'd rebelled. He'd resisted. He'd willfully kept going. 
But Jesus met him right where he was. And you know what happened that morning? Jesus said to Peter, I, I've still got work for you to do if you're up for it. Jesus knows right where you are at this Sunday morning. And I'm going to tell you something else. He still wants to use you if you're up for it. It's difficult to convey what I feel when I read that. I think it's unbelievable. Jesus didn't stand in heaven somewhere and say, you jerk, what have you done? Jesus went to Galilee himself. said, hey, Peter, come on, man, let's talk. Jesus says to you today, hey, come on, let's talk. Let's talk. And if you've been drifting from God. Maybe today's the day you fully finally realize what a lot of folks are finding out right now is what matters most is I need to stop the drift and reconnect. Let's pray together.